0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spark Hub podcast. My name is Alan and in this episode I go deep and wide with my guest Amanda Yardley on the power of sport, its value both in childhood and what it pays off in adulthood, how to deal with anxiety, how to overcome body dysmorphia, what it can do for you, how it can combat ever having to use pharmaceutical products. The topics in this conversation are both wide and deep. And cover what, well, fundamentally, we're humans, we need to move. And so we go into the reasons why, what you can actually accomplish in seven minutes, which was news to me. And as you'll hear, there's a myth that got busted that I'd long held to be true, uh, now finding out that it wasn't true. So I, I learned something definitely in this episode, among many other things. As always, there's lots of related material in the show notes below the episode. And without further ado, please enjoy The Power of Sports with Amanda Yardley. So Amanda, welcome to the Spark Hub podcast. And as is tradition, we're going to start with quote. you have a quote?
1: I do. It is, children are great imitators, so give them something great to imitate.
0: You have no idea who said that?
1: Anonymous.
0: Pretty good one. Where did you see it?
1: Uh, online. Um, I often look through quotes, and that one just came up um, when you're being a role model for a child or how to inspire them, and they... It's very true. They often just imitate their environment and what's going on around them.
0: Yeah, they're like little sponges. That's a great quote. So where I'd love to start is a little bit about you actually. The topic today that we're going to go talk about is sports, the importance of sports, especially for children. And I have a lot of questions I want to get into, but I'd love to just hear more about your background. You ha- you're a mother of two, which qualifies you uh, for Spark Cup because you're a parent, but you also have a, a, a background in sports. So if you want to give us a little story about where you started and, and how you ended up in this arena.
1: So sport, actually from a young age, gymnastics was my sport as a child, but more at a recreational level rather than any high competitive level, just county level. But actually, as I got older and gymnastics was taking its toll on my body and I'd kind of reached my peak. I then started coaching gymnastics. So I used to coach the preschoolers and the early development squad and I'd be there four days a week coaching the children and that was from when I was about 16 till 21. So I was always focused on encouraging children in sport but for enjoyment as well as for performance level, not just about winning competitions but enjoying the sport, enjoying being part of the team and having fun along the way Uh, and then after that I turned to running so then I became a runner Um, and that's been in fits and starts through my life so I used to run a lot and then I had my children and I stopped for a few years and then in more recent years I've gone back to running and more long distance so more half marathons and now I've started triathlons, bike riding, so who knows what the next event will be for me.
0: You're proliferated. Yes. But I think, I mean, we spoke about this offline, but it, a lot of uh, the running, this was in, in response to trauma in your life, I think. You've been through some tough times. We won't go into detail, but suffice it to say that uh, what did running do for you during the tough times?
1: Training, particularly for running and for events in particular, not just a weekly 5K, but to have a goal in mind. Gave me discipline and focus to keep training. It kept me motivated. It allowed me to have headspace. But generally, it was the discipline that I needed at that time. When the rest of life is in a bit of a turmoil, having discipline and focus in one area can really help you keep going.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking, well, as you were talking, I was thinking about what we've all been through as parents the past, say, five years, regardless of your own personal life, the external pressures of the COVID the homeschooling the having to give up your career I mean all of that stuff you just can't control but it seems to me that running was something that you you could control and get a result out of even if you're having a bad day
1: (laughs) definitely and I think people find different things in that you know and I know we've spoken offline before about um I find that a very healthy thing to have as a control in my life some people I know have control issues with cleaning houses or they like their house to be tidy or clean to help them cope with the busyness in life. For me, exercise gives me that focus. Mm. Um, And it gives a great lifestyle, great well-being. You feel great for exercise. So it's something you can control. It allows you to be disciplined and it allows better focus in other areas of life as well.
0: But here's a loaded question. Did it make you a better parent while you were going through the turmoil? Did it open a valve for you in any way or...
1: Definitely. It was an outlet. So if it was a particularly tough day or I was feeling particularly stressed, I'd go out on that run and then I'd come back and I was ready to face the challenges of parenthood. Mm. It definitely improves my patience with the children.
0: (laughs) That's a big plus.
1: (laughs) And even some days, like last night, even with my two girls, um, it'd been a day of chores and packing up ready for a big move and things like that. So we all did a family workout in the evening just to reconnect, de-stress, clear the thoughts of the day before we all went down to bed that night.
0: That's great. Do you use anything like any online tools or was it just something you, because you, 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 you're from this background, you can kind of come up with a workout on the spot? Uh,
1: so that was a home workout tool that I used and it was just a 20-minute HIIT workout that I have a track for, that I have for my professional access as being a physiotherapist so that's how I had that particular one last night but the children enjoy it they get worn out quicker than I do so <laughs> I think it inspires them to try harder to try and keep up with mummy but yes it's a great way for us to all the children are starting to become a bit frustrated or agitated with each other or with life I'll often say why don't we quickly do a hit session and they love it um, and then we all feel fresher and less stressed to carry on the day.
0: It's called it what, what I used to say to the boys: "Let's shake our sillies out." That kind yes. of that kitty thing, yeah. yeah. But so th- this is interesting because before we get to the children, physiotherapy. So you took us on the journey from gymnastics to running and what it does for you personally as a mother, as a professional. But then physiotherapy became. How did you end up becoming a physiotherapist? What was the path to that?
1: So I hadn't ever thought about it until I was seventeen when I had a hip injury. Gymnastics, and I needed to have physio, and I really enjoyed that. And thought this is great because you're giving something back to people and you're helping people, and it allowed me to carry on being fit and active. Mm. But at that time, I'd already chosen my A level options, so I was always on a different road. um, And my parents encouraged me to continue on the path that I'd already taken at that point, which was a business and finance biased uh, A-level choices. So I went to university first time around and did a business finance degree. And then I worked in insolvency in the city and business restructuring. Very, very, very
0: sexy. (laughs) Uh, Very sexy topic and very sexy work.
1: Worked on some big cases, but I hated it. And I just knew that I wanted to be a physio.
0: But hold on. But why did your parents force the, did they want you to have a a plan B basically
1: They wanted a plan B and they said, it's always a degree I could fall back on. Right. If I took a physiotherapy degree and didn't enjoy the career, there are limited options after that. And also, academically, I was very strong. So I think they felt that business and finance helped with an academically strong background. You know, I would be successful in business and finance, which may well have been the case. However, I wanted a job there where I helped people. I Mm. just had this urge to be someone that was helping others.
0: That sounds almost cliche but I, I would also say you're very kinetic. Yes. So I can imagine a spreadsheet's not quite as, re- as rewarding as stretching someone out.
1: <laughs> no and seeing people achieve a goal like I didn't get that same buzz when I had a balance sheet balance as I do when I see a patient get back to a goal or a fitness activity that they've wanted to do.
0: I can imagine that you that you were helping the people that you originally worked with in many ways. Yes, because they would have all been stuck on spreadsheets.
1: Definitely.
0: So you've ended up in physiotherapy. You do shake your sillies out with your girls. Yes, naturally. And and there was a there was a great story. I'd love you to tell me. There was a friend of yours who said that was having sort of mental challenge, yes. mental health issues, and then you sort of coached her to.
1: Yes. So she. Um... She's been a bit lost in life. She hasn't really had a clear path that she's been taking. And COVID probably did impact her mental health even more because she works in hospitality. So obviously that was shut down. I'd spent some time talking with her. And it was when I was training for the London Marathon this year. And I said to her, it really helped me focus and to give me um, a goal. And as many quotes say, I don't think you can train for and run a marathon and come out the same person you were when you went into it. Mm. It teaches you so much about yourself. You have hours running with just your own thoughts in your head, and you process those so much more than you can during a busy day at work. And I said this to her, and she then saw me the following week and said she'd signed up for a half marathon. She'd unfortunately had had a suicide attempt, um, Luckily, it was only an attempt, and she's here to tell the tale. But she said that hearing how running had given me a focus, she wanted to challenge herself. She wanted to try and be better and have a discipline in her life. So she has started running. She entered the half marathon in April, and I saw her last week. And she is still running. She's on a great path. She's feeling brilliant. Her mental health is much improved. And, yeah, her focus is very much on the future now. Wow.
0: And and you, you uh, intervene professionally or personally in this case?
1: Um, so that was um, a friend. I have worked with her previously with that like, in a physio background, yeah. but it's more of a friend.
0: Thank God you did.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: And so, I mean, I guess my next um, question is around, again, Spark Hub is about building a hub of, of inspiration and sparks for children. And so I'd love to hear more about where you're going in terms of your career and as a mother towards getting kids onto sport. And I'll give you a, a reason why I'm asking this question. I recently read that a lot of pharmaceutical products that are are there for antidepressant or, or whatever, or um, dark thoughts, are nowhere near as powerful as the endorphins you get from exercise. And so it, it strikes me as quite crucial to teach your children that not all drugs are bad, but that you always have natural, natural um, abilities to heal yourself. And just to give you a personal story, I lived in South Korea as a child. Uh, we were surrounded by Buddhist temples and whatnot, but I remember a book my dad brought back when we moved to Canada. And in the book, it was all about pressure points. And so you could look up a symptom, say a headache or a, a sore or whatever, and then it would have this design of the body and you could put pressure on certain points yes and it would relieve it and and when i showed a doctor a western doctor they said we've cut bodies open we don't find any of these energy lines they're called qi or whatever they're called and it's all hokum kind of thing but it worked <laughs> so whether or not it was a placebo effect or whatever it worked and so i've always had this fascination between eastern and western medicine yin yang all yes. of that kind of stuff but we are living in the west we are living in a an environment where prescriptions are written quite often, uh, especially for children now who might not be able to focus or, 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 or sit still. And so I, I wonder, you know, from your perspective, power of sport and how to inspire children to get into it seems to me of a quite, a a, quite a big advantage.
1: Definitely is. I've read some statistics recently that I find quite shocking. But that's because I lead an active lifestyle and encourage that for my children just over 14% of reception age children, so four-year-olds, when they start school, are obese now. Um, And I think that's an incredibly high figure for four-year-olds to be obese. You're Uh,
0: barely out the gate.
1: Exactly. And I think if we're going to school obese, we've got a real uphill battle to turn that behaviour around to stop obesity in adulthood for them. Even worse, that in year six, so when they're 10 or 11 and about to leave primary school, that figure has got worse. It's 25% of 10 to 11-year-olds.
0: And this is compared to how long ago? Like, what's the timeline on this? that
1: has increased by almost 5% since 2019-20. The pre-pandemic to now, an increase of 5% in obesity in 4-year-olds and 10-year-olds. Now, I think that this is a really key age for children to get them active and start them on a or want to have an active and healthy lifestyle, if we miss this boat, especially in girls, and I've got two girls, there is a drop-off naturally in girls accessing sport when they become teenagers. So if we already missed that chance to have that as part of their daily habit by the time they're 10 or 11, now I don't know the gender divide on that obesity figure, but if by 10 or 11, we've got 25% of the children already at obesity, and we know exercise drops off in teenage years.
0: Well, that's can, one, in five, one in four to start.
1: Yes. By the end of secondary school, I don't have the figures, but I can imagine we're just in a worse place.
0: Well, I, I would imagine, I mean, given your financial background, you know about compound interest. And, yes. Uh, I, I can imagine this only compounds.
1: Yes, definitely. And actually, guidelines suggest, so for parents, that children of primary school age, this age group that my children are in at the moment, should be active for 60 minutes a day. And that is throughout the day. That isn't one hour exercise class every evening they have to do, but you know, the school our children go to um, encourage walk to school at least a couple of times a week. So within that day, 60 minutes of moderate exercise is recommended. I do think parents have an uphill battle at the moment because we're balancing out technology and screen time in children. And we can't say that That needs to be eradicated because children are going to be in a technology world. So there has benefits of them being growing up with technology for their future. But we should really be encouraging this 60 minutes of activity throughout the day as well. And it needs to be enjoyable for children. We know they respond to reward and positive praise. And exercise feeds into that so easily. They can see that they're able to run faster faster. They're happy with that then, you know, they can do more jumps on the spot before they feel tired or they can skip or they can do the monkey bars at the park. They are happy with that. That is a real sense of achievement for children as well as making them more active. So if you can make it part of their lifestyle, children enjoy it. You know, it hasn't got to be a strict exercise environment. Enjoyable activity is more important and competitive, I think. Yes, if a child is very talented as a swimmer, for example, competitive swimming is obviously fantastic for them as a person. But we have to remember that there's a large amount of children who aren't naturally talented in sport, and the tendency would be for those children to then do nothing. And that's where I think we need to find fun physical activities rather than just a focus on competitive level
0: in yeah. children. Do you mean? I mean, casting my mind forward because what what I like to do is I like to try and imagine the future and then reverse engineer the sparks that get you there. It's kind of And so one of the things I keep thinking about now is personally, I used to go into London most days. I'd be in an office and I tried to adapt the office to me. So I'd have a standing desk or I'd have, um, I'd sit on a Swiss ball and I would constantly walk around. So I got my activity, got my steps in. And that was fine. But now let's say, my new reality post-COVID is one day a week in the office and most of my time at home or, or you know, in another environment. I'm trying to maintain that, you know, the standing desk, the ball, all that kind of stuff. But I try and even do little mini workouts between calls and stuff like that. And it makes a massive difference to going to bed sore or not. <laughs> Definitely. So imagine the we again, casting forward, kids are maybe hybrid working, maybe they're not, you know, they're not socializing as much. It feels to me there's a huge opportunity for team sports. It's a huge opportunity for workshops. It's a huge opportunity because people are now very well aware of their bodies more than we were growing up, I think.
1: Definitely. And I would agree that pre COVID, and I've spoken to other parents about this in view of coming to do this uh, podcast with you about access to sports clubs pre COVID and post COVID. Mm. Um, And it would appear that especially sports clubs run at the schools. There was a wider uh, array of sports offered pre COVID to now. And I mean, some of those sports clubs will have been affected by COVID. You know, they were quite small businesses or people doing that on top of other things. And they've had to diversify because of COVID as well. But obviously, my children go to a very small rural primary school. But pre COVID, even before school, there was golf, there was fencing. They had tennis available, basketball, netball clubs, multi-sports clubs. And yes, some of those have come back now, but the golf club has not come back to the school in the mornings. There's no fencing offered to primary but schools But why have now. they not
0: come back? Is that a budgetary reason? or a- No,
1: um, the fencing seems to be quite common across this area, um, so county-wide. And I think just the company is no longer providing that. Because, so they
0: went out of business. Yeah, so COVID business. killed killed a bunch of businesses yes. that would have serviced.
1: Yeah, and actually my daughter, my eldest in particular, she's not a natural sports person, but fencing she really enjoyed because she's more tactical thinking.
0: So she likes the strategy of she it. She likes the
1: strategy. So I looked recently at external opportunity for that in Essex. I was willing to travel anywhere within Essex to take her to that. And I couldn't find a single junior club at her age. And I think this is a major problem. We want the sport to be available to children, but post-COVID, there is less opportunity. And also when it's at the school, it fits into their school day very well. They either start a bit earlier, Mm -hmm. finish a bit later. So it helps with parents who are working, whereas if that has to be sourced somewhere else, then there is a bigger request on parenting for that. You know, I might have to drive to Billericay or to... Ipswich, so a 40-minute drive to take them to a club, that's much harder to fit into a day for working parents. And it's much more tiring for the children. You know, they've got to get home, quick dinner, travel a long distance to go to a club. So I do think access has reduced. But then, like you say, I think that that feeds into us making it more around our current lifestyle, more working outs at home, different Mm. activities, we need to think outside of the box as well. Well, we're filling a
0: gap. I mean, this is my concern, and, and I spoke to one of my other guests was a guy named Brad, and he runs the Kinetics Academy. And his theme, his, if you listen to that episode, his ultimate point was you can become anything you want through sport and training and mindset. And if you don't, if you don't have that in the early days, as you say, the boat sails on that. Yes. It's a missed opportunity. And now there's a, basically a um, shortage of – well, I'll call it a labor shortage – of all these activities now and specialists that have just gone out of business or had to go maybe work at Tesco's.
1: Exactly. uh, Just to pay the bills. Just
0: to pay the bills rather than teaching this. It's it's sad. And I don't see any evidence the government particularly cares. So then it falls to the parents. I agree. And so to your point now, the advantage or the opportunity is, I mean, our kids watch YouTube, but you can find workouts on YouTube now. There's a lot more, you know, accessibility. You can set up little stuff in your yard if you can, or if you have a small house, you can you can do stuff in the house and set up challenges. But if, if you don't get it in young, my, I mean, when I was growing up, it was skiing in the winter and biking in the summer and swimming and hiking. And it was just on the doorstep. You just went and did it. Um, you never had to think about it. But the mindset that it gives you. Is- I
1: agree. And I think for parents, the obvious things, the swimming, the going for a walk, the cycling, they're quite easy to know that that's a good activity to do. I'm very lucky that from my professional background, I can think of different workouts and different ideas around the house, like these little family HIIT workouts and things. I'm very lucky to have that.
0: You've got an unfair advantage.
1: I have got (laughs) an unfair advantage. Um, And I think that's where it is hard for parents, because it's not that easy to find these things and to know it's safe to do these activities with children. Historically, there's always been old wives tales if you like about you know children shouldn't do resistance training or strength training it could be bad for their growth plates or it can stunt growth actually there's no research for that and it is encouraged in the guidelines that children do a form of resistance training or strength training as part of their exercise and actually as long as it's under supervision and with correct instruction it shows an increase in motor skills increased uh, lean muscle mass reduced body fat and enhanced bone health. So it's actually very beneficial for the body. Hmm. But historically, people have always shied away from children doing any sort of strength or resistance training, weight training, if you like. But it is actually perfectly safe for children to do that as long as it's at an appropriate level for them.
0: I'm so glad I spoke to you today because I've been laboring under that impression now for a long time. I always thought it was because uh, I did weight training from the age of 14. I was in the gym quite a lot, and so was my brother. I've been he always thought he was shorter because he was doing weights.
1: No, yeah, um, so that has always been sort of a a myth, a myth that we've grown up with. And I think a lot of our generation as parents have always had that thought process. That
0: well, I'm I'm sitting here as a case study, survey of one. I thought that was the thing. I thought you couldn't do weight training until you were 16 or 18 or yeah,
1: something. Yeah, no, recent research, and there's been a big plug on this in a professional network basis. But again, I don't think that's necessarily fed down to... The layperson, but the on the dummies ad, like me, yeah, on the professional <laughs> network. In the last year, they've been really promoting that it is safe for children to do that.
0: Wow, well, color me educated. I honestly, I honestly didn't know that, but now I know.
1: Yeah, so I will. My children have got little one kg dumbbells at home, and we'll do some weight training. And they're doing some press ups with me and planks and all sorts of things. And they've got their little dumbbells and their resistance bands, and we have a little circuit every so often to get some strength on them
0: that's great I, I think we need more of that I remember in, during the COVID it was a guy named Joe Wicks yes
1: Joe Wicks
0: and he used to do these live streams yes but what annoyed me about it I I, I liked the intention and I liked the ambition that he had but what it didn't feel realistic because one we had kids struggling with the concept that they couldn't see their friends so they're cooped up in the living room there's a screen with some dude jumping around on it, which was fine, and we were starting to get into it, but they very quickly lost interest because what he would do is he'd do a movement and he and he'd start sort of name dropping all the people that were logging in. I and he just you know because he, he could see who was logging in, he would start saying, "Hey, welcome this," one. and it got boring because it's like, "Hey, I'm here to do a workout with you," and you're just name shouting other people. And so the, the idea was right, but the format was horrific, and especially if, I mean, my kids are between eight and nine, and the younger one was between five and six. You know what we did instead? We got their bikes in, put them on bricks. Yeah. And made stationary bikes out of them. Brilliant. That was fine. But this guy, Joe Wicks, as I said, live stream YouTube. And also, this might be another missed opportunity, but for you, for my kids, YouTube is entertainment.
1: I agree, yes.
0: So I don't think they're going to necessarily...
1: Or they'll watch the video. They're not doing it. They're watching the exercise video no. and not participating. Um, no. I agree and, with Joe And then Wicks, the ad's so... interrupted. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's just ridiculous. So right idea. But, but my I...
1: children also like yours, we started the Joe Wicks and they'd do the first two minutes and then their mind would be wandering or they don't want to carry on or they'll sit down and have a rest. So I think, you know, you do need to be mindful of your audience on those sorts of things.
0: It was well intentioned. I don't I don't maybe again poorly executed. Anyway.
1: Yes. On that, actually, we the thing that's really interesting, a lot of these exercises are 15 minutes, 20 minutes, even 30 minutes for like a high-intensity interval training workout. But studies show it actually is beneficial for children just at seven minutes. So Mm. seven minutes of high-intensity exercise is enough for children. So the benefits gained from that exercise peak at that seven minutes. Oh, wow. So actually, the next eight minutes of that 15-minute workout Are irrelevant if their attention span can only last the seven minutes. Let's make seven minutes brilliant, rather than try and keep them focused for twenty.
0: That's interesting. And by the way, at the other end of the spectrum, Prince Philip used to, uh, and I think Prince King Charles now, King Charles III exact, um, they have a regime that is a seven minute workout that is apparently a military. There's a term for it, and actually. I'll give credit to my folks, the Canadians. It was a Canadian military, someone that developed it. Apparently, it's seven minutes. It's a blend of cardio and strength, yep. but it gives you everything you need if you start your day with it, and you probably know the name of it, and I don't.
1: But that's exactly what this is saying about the, um, I'm sure it's probably a hit workout. I don't know what they do, but it shows that seven minutes for children improves emotional regulation, which is due to, and it's the same as why they, the Royals will be doing the, the similar seven-minute thing. It's a change in the neurotransmitters of the brain. So basically the way the chemicals are working in the brain. So in that seven minutes, you are having um, less of your stress-related hormones, so your cortisol levels and your adrenaline levels. So your fight and flight and your stress reduce.
0: Mm.
1: And your happy chemicals increase. So your natural endorphins, your natural mood boosters have increased within a seven-minute high-intensity circuit training
0: so you don't need drugs
1: you don't need drugs (laughs) but it also they recommend you start the day even for children with this if you can I know the morning preschool routine doesn't always allow it but you know even if we did it a couple of times a week or if schools did it more because it improves their task performance improves their working memory and their cognitive control so not only is their emotional regulation better, they will be feeling happier. They will be more um, focused on the work that they're asked to do and their memory will be better for the day. So for me, and I will admit, I can't always make seven minutes happen in the morning. Four days a week, I am out of the house before the children are awake. So that does make it extremely difficult. And we often do as, therefore, after school rather than before school, just because the mornings don't work. But you can create simple circuits to do this at home with just a handful of exercises, 45 seconds of work, 15 seconds of rest, seven different exercises. There's your seven minutes complete.
0: What if there's Lego everywhere?
1: Hopping over the Lego, there you go.
0: That's part of the circuit yeah, is pain, avo- the circuit. pain avoidance. Don't
1: land on the Lego brick because <laughs> otherwise your happy hormones will not be up.
0: <laughs> Instead of the floor is lava, the floor is Lego. Yes. Flipping to something I think is more, and that's great, by the way, you know, the seven-minute thing, resistance, this has sort of changed my perspective. And I think you know, I try and encourage my kids, um, especially my oldest one. He's only driven by tech, so he's got like a chore app. So he, it's a little bit of a gambling addiction, but yes. he does jobs. He gets a little pipping on his phone and he gets some money and now he's into crypto. So he's actually asking me to take it out. But anyway, that's another story. The point being is I think you can turn that if you, if your kid is minded that way, you can turn it into achievements through apps. You can turn it into Definitely. star charts. You can kind of, you could do it always. One thing I read though, which was, is more, um, gender specific. And I would have, I would love your opinion on this. As I was reading a study about the effects of screen time on certain ages, and this is, again, to be clear about biological gender, but it was interesting to say that boys can play really violent video games, um, say pre-10, pre-11, maybe better that they're 12, but they can play violent video games. They can watch crazy stuff on YouTube, and it doesn't really affect them too much. Versus something like girls who are on Instagram looking at filtered pictures, creating body dysmorphia issues in a big way. Yes. One of the case studies I read about a girl that was so sucked into this. I mean, it leads to all the dark places you can imagine. Bulimia, anorexia, all of that kind of stuff. And by the way, this is not new. Magazines used yes. to be. <laughs> magazines used to be there. The
1: supermodels.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. But now it's it's in your hand. And it's in a gambling machine. Uh, the level of anxiety it can cause when you post an image and if it's filtered how many likes you get how many comments even if the school says no phones in school they'll still be sitting there jittering till lunchtime so they can whip their phone out again
1: definitely
0: but i give you that as context to say there was one you know in light of this information it's unfortunately not equality of the sexes in some ways because it seems for whatever reason Boys, are able, boys aren't as affected, should we say. I'm not saying all boys, but it seems generally speaking, boys aren't as affected by body image as girls would be given the social media consumption habits. But one case study I did see was that there was a few girls that had these issues, and the way they beat it was through exercise, through sports. Uh, and it seemed to me that it, it replaced the endorphins they were getting from Instagram and uh, TikTok and all the other channels that they're on. And as a mother of two girls... <laughs> Um, I'd love to know if you're concerned about body image. If you feel that exercise is going to sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What what are, what do vaccines do? They prevent. Yes. <laughs> inoculate is the word. Will, it, will you inoculate them against um, against certain things? What, what's your concern as a as a mother and a woman yourself, Lusa? You so,
1: know? as a mother, I'm very aware of it, especially having two girls. Yeah. I'm very conscious of how. They perceive their bodies and how those perceptions are being formed. Is it because of external things they hear, or you know, are they just proud of who they are? And actually, you can tell even now that girls do seem to have this awareness of body image, body dysmorphia, diet culture, even at a young age. It must have been a year ago now. So, my daughter would have been seven, and we had popped. the tea room after school on a Friday and she had picked a gingerbread man as her treat Friday after school treat and she was eating it in the car on the way home and she said to me "Mummy, it says it has and I can't remember the number now however many calories in it is that good or bad now she was seven years old and I don't know why she knows about calories at seven years old but I definitely don't want to think that a seven-year-old is already having a calorie counting awareness because of a body dysmorphia issue. And actually, it was her godmother that explained to her in such a good way about calories. I'm very grateful to her for that. But she said back, calories give us energy, and we need a certain amount of energy for our bodies every day. So it is just purely telling us we got that amount of energy from that piece of food, So we need more food to have more energy because you are going to need X amount of energy in your day. So to try and make her think even at this young age that calories aren't bad, diet culture isn't a good thing. We need energy. We need to fuel our bodies. But I feel that very easily at seven, if, I mean, I wouldn't have had such a good description of the calories and the energy as her godmother did, that that could have been a slippery slope from seven being very aware about body image as a girl. I have always taken my children to watch me do events. And some people have commented that, why would children want to watch you do a half marathon? They only see you for a split second. It's not so much about seeing me that I want them there for. It's to be in that environment to see. And I am biased. I like them seeing a lot of females participating in sport because it does reduce, particularly in females, Um, And even as female adults, when they've had children, not all go back to sport. So I like my children seeing other women running, other girls running or other girls taking on a physical challenge and actually seeing athletic bodies, if you like, rather than seeing skinny images all the time. Mm. And also coming to an event, they are really moving, seeing people supporting strangers in exercise is really inspiring, you know, and I think that hopefully if my children see that and they can see how much your body can achieve if it's fit and it's strong and it's got muscle, that will hopefully stop them thinking a skinny figure is what they have to attain in life.
0: You're probably, you're, as to go back to your quote, you're providing them with something better to impersonate.
1: definitely. And actually, for my children, I entered them into their first event when they were just three and four years old. So at three and four years old, I entered them into the Westminster Mile. So we had to run one mile in London. This was pre-COVID, obviously. They had never run before. They had never done an event before. But they had seen me do events. And they had seen me get the medal at the end. And I saw this advertised, and I thought, what a great way to inspire them from a young age to, to want to exercise, to have something that's worth achieving. And as I say, there were three and four at the time. They were so excited to be there with their own running number, their timing chip tied onto their shoe. It's just like they had this knowledge that this was something really special to be part of. And, you know, this is what they want to do in their life. And um, We were really lucky. The race was started by Mo Farah. Oh, and wow. The Mo Farah. The Mo Farah. No bot. And, yeah, and we <laughs> were the front starting line. So he high-fived the children before they started. And they could just feel this buzz of adrenaline and excitement at start line. So it started on the mouth. So, again, they knew about Buckingham Palace because they're very keen on London, as I am. So. Even just being on a start line by Buckingham Palace, they were thrilled by this experience. And when that starting gun went, they'd never heard a starting gun before, so I didn't know what to expect. They ran so hard, and the determination on their faces was incredible. It's probably one of my favorite memories of their childhood so far. Just see them have this want to achieve They didn't know how far a mile was. They didn't know how long it was going to take them, but they didn't want to give up because Mm. they saw other children running and they wanted to finish just as they had. And when we saw the finish line, they were saying to me, we can run faster now. Let's run faster and faster. And they pushed themselves and sprinted to that finish line, which was right outside Buckingham Palace. And they still treasure their medals now. Like, It has inspired them so much. And um, obviously the following year we couldn't do it because of COVID, the event was cancelled. But we did do it again. And I hadn't mentioned it to them at all until the next year came up. And they wanted to do better. So both of them asked me what their time was the first time because we had the timing chips recorded. It was still on my phone. And they set themselves a goal to be better than that one before. And in the weeks leading up to it, they wanted to go out on training runs.
0: Mm. So then
1: we went on some training runs and then they wanted to do interval training runs because they knew I did that when I trained. So then we did some speed work and they had this discipline and they wanted to do it. It didn't matter if it was a bit rainy or cold. They wanted to go out and do that. They would turn the telly off to go and do it. So it did take them away from their screens. Oh, wow. Because actually. That's powerful. (laughs) That is powerful. And I think it's because they had this sense of achievement that they'd put on themselves It wasn't me saying, you need to be quicker than last year. They wanted to be quicker themselves. And I think sport encourages that. Most of the time, you want to be the best performance you can be in that sport, Mm. especially in individual sports like running or swimming. You want to be better than you were in your last event. And I hadn't explained that to them. It's like they just knew that as soon as you sparked that inspiring event for them, sparked their imagination to be better than they wanted to do it
0: but it sounds like it was self-explanatory so you you know it's what what i'm finding now is my kids don't listen to me yes (laughs) now what you need to do is find as as your quote says someone for them to impersonate so i'm trying to find role models around me or events around me or things even on youtube that i find inspiring and say look isn't that cool and then hopefully they just the penny drops yes and they just want to do it Definitely. themselves and I've, I've noticed that as well so I've sort of I've sort of changed my my approach to things but as you say what part of why I created the Spark Hub is where are those people who are they what do they do and how do you find them definitely
1: um, and my youngest I am certain from now that she will run events when as in running events not organized events when she is older I'm pretty sure she will take on a marathon as a challenge because She's so interested when I'm training for such events. And even yesterday I took them swimming and she asked me how far a junior triathlon would be. Mm. And I told her the swim distance and she said, I'm going to start training for that now because when I'm eight, which is the minimum age for a triathlon, I want to do my first triathlon. So just giving her the opportunity to have exercise as part of her life It has inspired her so much and really sparked a drive within her to challenge herself and see what she can achieve. My eldest, as I said earlier, is less natural in sport, but she does still want to do things. And they don't get much choice because my lifestyle is so active. So I guess it's a little bit like, well, we've either got to accept it or we're going to be dragged along anyway. But I do hope for her. But over time, she does realize how good exercise makes her feel and not just mentally, but how happy she is with her body because her body can do the thing she's asking of it.
0: That's right. That was back to my earlier point is, well, I have a, another angle, too, which is that a lot of our children now are probably not going to be using social media because it's mummy and daddy's drug yes it's always been my theory and i've explained it before i remember growing up with um drink driving advertising and cigarette packets with burnt out lungs on them because our parents had a vice yes and now we don't do it and now the kids are growing up looking at knowing about mental health issues and whatnot and exercise seems to be the key so i guess my conclusion in all this is that we just need to find more resources i agree because the schools aren't going to step up not because they don't want to but because their budgets are cut or the cost of living is causing them to have to heat the building rather than invest in a coach which is sad but but it is true it is true and and if you don't bake these fundamentals in now um uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong professionally mentally personally definitely Um,
1: and um if we don't have the best foundations then the building blocks are never going to stay up because if they don't have that strong foundation in a healthy lifestyle and well-being as they grow older that's going to be even less important to them yeah if the importance isn't raised early
0: but I think one one message I have taken from you which it's it just needs seven minutes a day
1: seven minutes not a lot to ask no
0: not a lot to ask and it can give you longevity and the benefits are are high and and you hopefully don't have to take pills
1: definitely it's about and we've said this before a habit it's developing Mm -hmm. a habit that seven minutes we could all probably find in the morning.
0: Well, I'm going to argue only only in the afternoon.
1: Yeah, well, I did say this (laughs) earlier as well. Like I said, four days a week, I'm out of the house before the children wake up. So those four days aren't possible, but in the afternoon or at some point, seven minutes can probably be carved into most people's days. Mm. Um, And the benefits from just seven minutes are huge.
0: Well, that was very interesting. I've certainly learned a lot. I've dispelled myths. I've learned about what seven minutes can get me. And we've discussed how to prevent, prevent children from falling into the gaps of either drugs or, uh, or despair. But um, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.